0: From World Renew, the Office of Social Justice, and the Center for Public Dialogue of the Christian Reformed Church of North America, this is the Do Justice Podcast. Well, hello friends, and welcome to another episode of Do Justice. My name is Chris Orm, I'm your host, and I'm extremely privileged today to have two very special guests. First, we have Leah Gazan. Uh, Member of Parliament for Winnipeg Center, um, serving on the New Democratic Party. She's the Critic for Children, Families, and Social Development, as well as Deputy Critic for Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship. Leah is a member of Wood Mountain Lakota Nation, located in Saskatchewan Treaty 4 Territory. Leah, welcome. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And we're doubly blessed today with two guests. Uh, We have Steve Heinrichs here. Steve identifies as a settler Christian from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Treaty One Territory. He is the director of Indigenous Settler Relations for Mennonite Church Canada. Steve is also the editor for the book Unsettling the Word, Biblical Experiments in Decolonization. Thanks, Steve, for being here. It's great to be here. Hey, and I, I have to be super upfront in these conversations. I was, we were, we were chatting before we uh, started here, started this episode, and uh, I'm a bit of a fanboy of both of you. I am, I'm, I've been following your work. Both of you have been, I would consider you teachers uh, of mine, um, as I'm, I'm a fellow learner on this journey um, of reconciliation that we are in at the moment in Canada, and I want to. I want to just point out uh, before we get too deep into the conversation that there's a potential here for conversations like these to be hypercharged. Um, There are people who are waiting to be critical of of how these kinds of conversations play out. And I think we're all aware of that, but it's important. And so for those of you who are uh, joining us and you are beginning your reconciliation journey, or you're not quite sure where you are, Uh, Our hope is that with this conversation, that you would begin to get some of the tools to begin to take some of those steps, that you would begin to learn some of the avenues that you can take um, as a settler committed to reconciliation, um, and that maybe you'd be liberated from some of the fear that might bring some of that hesitancy. Like, what if I say the wrong thing? I'm not quite sure where to begin. We want to make this not easy, but we want to make this accessible. Uh, and so I think we have two amazing guests to help us do that today. So let's get started. Um, how did you two meet? Because you come from two very different backgrounds, but how did you two meet and become friends? Leah, we'll start with you.
1: Well, I think, you know, Steve, is, uh, Steve, Steve always has a funny story about uh, um, how we uh, first met. Uh, I believe it was at at the beginning of "Idle No More," uh, we met through a good fellow friend of ours, uh, Negan uh, Sinclair. Um, I knew that Steve wanted uh, an opportunity to talk with me, mm-hmm. and uh, I believe that it was at a book launch. Was it at a book launch? Yes, it was, Steve. It was. It was at a book launch, um, but I think Steve uh, tells a really funny story. So, you know, Steve approached me. He said, "You know, I'm high." I'm Steve Heinrichs. I said, hello, Steve Heinrichs. And how did it go, Steve? I I just love the way you tell the
2: story. Well, I think I, I mentioned that I was from the Mennonite community and your eyes just went large because at the time you were teaching at the University of Winnipeg in the education faculty and you had a lot of Mennonites, white Mennonites, coming through um, your classes, white Mennonites that really didn't have much awareness of, Uh, Indigenous settler relations, decolonization, basic reconciliation conversations. And so you saw me and grabbed me right away once I said Mennonite, you said, you need to come with me. And uh, you were introducing me to a bunch of um, your peers and colleagues. And I think that it opened up a space right away because you're saying, you know what, here's a, it seemed like here's a Mennonite who wants to do some work um, engaging not only conversation around reconciliation, but white supremacy is at the root of um, the fracture, and so that started a relationship uh, where you were inviting me into classes, and and we started getting to know each other and, and uh, doing work on on justice matters.
1: And I think it's important to to point out with within that context, like indigenous Indigenous people's uh, didn't put ourselves here. Right. And I don't believe that it's up to us to fix it. Mm. Um, you know, it's not up to us to fix our own colonial and ongoing colonial imp- violence that we experience mm. every day, including what just came out from the Premier's new Min- Indigenous uh, Affairs Minister. A denying uh, a residential school denier talking mm-hmm. about the benefits of residential school that happened today mm-hmm. uh, in Manitoba in the provincial government um, you know and I think you know it's not up to us to fix it but it's certainly we are now all in it together yeah. and we need to work together uh, to seek justice for all and at the forefront of that, I believe if we're ever going to reconcile in this country is certainly truth, uh, recognizing truth and not responding with discussion, but responding with action as what was called for by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada.
0: Leah, I want to ask you to, if you if you could, to could you name this moment, this cultural moment that we're in right now in the Canadian context? So that some of our listeners, um you know the, the, they're not Canadian. They're, they might not even be tracking with what is going on. I think everyone in Canada though now is sort of in this space of at least, okay, what, what do we do? What is happening? What, what is this moment? Um, and what is the significance of this moment?
1: Well, you know, um, certainly we know the the recovery of children around uh, residential schools, uh, we are faced with hard truths. Uh, we knew these truths, uh, in Canada. We knew these truths. They were actually part of the calls to action in the truth of reconciliation commission in Canada. This the, the fact that elected officials are talking about how they're shocked and surprised when this was already noted by the truth and reconciliation is very harmful. Um, you know, it's, it's time for truth. What happened in Canada, uh, was genocide in residential school. And, and according and within the UN Convention uh, on Genocide, and I'm going to read it, uh, according to Article 2 on the of the UN Convention, it says, In the present convention, genocide means any of the following acts committed with the intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethnical, racial, or religious group as such. A, killing members of the group. b." causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group, C, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part, D, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group, and E, forcibly transferring children of the group to another group. What happened in Canada was not cultural genocide. What happened in Canada was genocide and the same sort of behavior that resulted in the deaths of thousands and thousands of children that never returned home to the families is all rooted in the same, in the same genocide, which is to forcibly remove us off our lands. And this is what we see in real time in the midst of a climate emergency. We saw that in West Sowetan territory with LNG uh, armed, A militarized RCMP taking, uh, forcibly removing Indigenous uh, people off their lands at the end of a sniper gun. You know, they're still trying to take off our lands. They took our children to try and assimilate us so that we would just become part of the Canadian economic agenda of the time. And they are still perpetrating the same sort of behavior today. Um, you know, in, in regards to uh, residential schools, one only has to look at the child welfare system. You know, there's more kids in care now than at the height of residential schools. You know, if we are not willing to see truth in this country, if we are not willing to have those difficult discussions to finally acknowledge the truth. What happened in Canada was genocide. What continues to happen in Canada is ongoing genocide. As we see with murdered and missing indigenous women and girls and child welfare, it's going to be very hard for us to move forward towards reconciliation.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, just for our listeners too, like if, if you're unfamiliar with um, the 94 calls to action that, that Leah referenced, I think, You know, a lot of people are throwing those around like, yeah, the the 94 calls to action, the 94 calls calls to action, and then expressing that same level of shock and horror. But when you can read the words from, uh, I'll just read call to action number 75, if that's okay, right here. Um, We call upon the federal government to work with provincial, territorial and municipal governments, churches, Aboriginal communities, former residential school students, and current landowners to develop and implement strategies to proceed and procedures for the ongoing identification, documentation, maintenance, commemoration, and protection of residential school cemeteries or other sites at which residential school children were buried. This is to include the provision of appropriate memorial ceremonies and commemorative markers to honor the deceased children. There's no surprise here. This is from six years ago, so almost seven years ago now. So there's no surprise. So yeah, thank you for Thanks for giving shape to the context in which these conversations are happening. I so appreciate that, Steve. I want to ask you. You recently got back from uh, the Unistoten camp. Um, can you tell us a little bit? Tell us a little bit about what that is for folks who are unfamiliar.
2: Yeah. So Unistoten is uh, a clan of the Wet'suwet'en Nation. Minnesotan territory. One of their territories uh, is about sixty-six kilometers south of Houston, BC. And uh, since two thousand nine, they've had a reoccupation of their territory. Uh, they're purposely um, opposing an energy corridor that uh, the province and the federal government wants to to put through there without their consent for a number of pipelines. Uh, Leah mentioned LNG pipeline, but also um, uh, fossil fuel tar sands pipelines to go through there and uh, they're currently um, resisting the coastal gasing pipeline 600 plus kilometers going out to the west coast and in that space um, they're they're not only they're not simply resisting the pipeline because it is devastating for the territory it is makes no sense in an age of global heating that's going to impact not only uh, the unistotin and Wet'suwet'en, but uh, peoples around the world. Uh, but they're resisting it because um, that, that space is sacred to them. That is uh, their territory. They have jurisdiction there. They have lived there for millennia, and they are the rightful owners of that territory. And so people, you know, uh, Canada just... Uh, affirmed legislatively to uh, adopt or to implement the, the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. I know we'll talk about that uh, a little later. Uh, the BC provincial government more than a year ago affirmed that they were going to implement the declaration. This goes against the basic principles, the minimum standards articulated in the declaration. And the Unist'ot'en are is saying, look, relational respect demands that you honour our... Our jurisdiction here, our laws, our traditions, our relation, our spiritual connection as article 25 in the declaration talks about to the lands and territories and to the other than human creation that is in that space. So they're they're protecting it because they believe that the healing of the people is connected to the healing and protection of the land. And they're doing that first and foremost for their people, but they're also doing it for the rest of us. Because global warming does not honor boundaries and jurisdictions like uh, we might falsely imagine. On the day that I went up to Uta Stoughton, it was the day that the news of the mass graves at Kamloops came out, May 28th, I think it was. The day that I left there, uh, a month and a bit later, or the week that I left there, uh, another hundreds of unmarked graves in Saskatchewan were made known to the public, and more graves this past week have come known. When I was sitting around table with uh, the indigenous uh, leaders of the UNistotan and hearing them talk about their brilliant resistance, their perseverance, their they made ex- explicit the connections between the dispossession of children in their territory and the ongoing dispossession that's happening right now of their land, it's fundamentally connected. And it comes down to, like, if we truly see ourselves in equal relationship, we honor people's yes and no and consent. Children were taken away without consent. Land is currently being taken away without consent. Children were taken away because the government, and not only the government, and this is another point that we made. to it, but um, Canadian society wanted access to the land. That's why children were taken So I come to this conversation as a white settler and as a Christian. And the the thing that I would want to just add to what Leah offered up is that the genocide that has been inflicted and that continues was explicitly done in the name of Jesus. Churches were at the helm of the fracture of Indigenous families. And it was done in the name of progress, of civilization, but in the name of Jesus, one whom uh, you know, I I follow. So what is then the responsibility of church people like me when colonization was wrought in the name of Christ to do decolonization work? What is, what is um, our role and responsibility uh, in undoing or repairing harm that is unspeakable? Yeah.
0: I think a lot of us who are white settler Christian, um, you know, we, we have found ourselves, um, with new awareness with the coverage of, of Wet'suwet'en and, and the Unistotin camp, um, with, with the, with the land protectors pushing back against, against the oil companies, trying to push this through standing their ground against the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. We've seen that. I've seen powerful images come from there. um, land back lane, and now like you said with the uncovering of of graves at, at residential schools um yeah there's this there's this unsettling thing that is happening um and we know i think steve cuz i come at it from the same space as you i come at it as a settler christian follower of jesus and our audience would identify in that space as well um you know there a lot of our audience is are folks who who are christ followers um mm-hmm. And so we come at these conversations a bit from, you know, from a faith perspective, but it's my conviction. I think we know and we've seen in the past that this, that sort of jarring unsettledness can be used by the creator um, to ignite something, to start something. I want to ask you Leah, and I want you to respond to Steve, but in the midst of this sort of, you know, finally some white settlers are opening their eyes Um, how have you seen people lean into this awareness that's been developed from these spotlighted moments in helpful ways?
1: Well, I just want to say like, um, you know, I had the privilege of working with Steve uh, in the last parliament to push forward a bill C262 to see the full adoption and, and implementation um, of the United Nations declaration on the rights of indigenous people. Um, And you know, I spent a lot of times time with people in the faith community who uh, supported this call. Mm-hmm. So I think it's been a growing call uh, within the faith uh, community. I think it's important to recognize that for Indigenous peoples, whether they attended residential schools or intergenerational survivors, this is a very painful time. Yeah, And I think it's important for allies not to take up the emotional space. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not our op- responsibility uh, to make you feel better. Oh, I'm sorry, you're feeling bad about it. I know it's really painful. So I think people need to be cognizant of the emotional space Mm -hmm. uh, that they're taking up. Um, In the discussion, somebody said to me uh, the other day, for example, you know, Leah, you know, it's not just painful for Indigenous people, it's painful for all of us. I believe that, Mm -hmm. I believe that to be true. But, you know, let's be clear about where we're taking up emotional space. If we want to be a good ally, you know, we've had to spend, many of us, You know, decades, uh, years for young people, you know, they they were born into intergenerational trauma their whole life, trying to work through this, Uh, including myself. I've had to spend, you know, it's not up to us to make people feel better. Mm -hmm. We've been trying too hard to work through our own colonial (laughs) trauma. I mean, like this, this is this is real you know, it's one thing to feel badly, but that does nothing. You need to take action on that. So you say, I feel really badly. I've heard about this. It's very sad. This is what I'm going to do differently. This is how I'm going to contribute to real change uh, going uh, forward to seek justice and reparations uh, towards with Indigenous peoples. Uh, Indigenous peoples, whose privilege I have benefited from, Mm -hmm. uh, even to have a place to live, a a piece of earth on which to reside on. Mm -hmm. How am I going to reconcile with that privilege? Uh, That's a difficult discussion because what happens when you start talking about real solutions and you have to have discussions about sharing privilege Mm -hmm. or giving up privilege. And that's the thing about white supremacy. Right. and misogyny as as soon as you start opening that discussion up you start threatening your own privilege privilege that has been born on the backs and continues to be born on the backs of genocide against indigenous peoples in this country those are hard discussions yeah. those are painful discussions because then you begin to have to look at how am i contributing to this current system. And that is hard. Mm -hmm. I wanna honor that. That is hard, especially when the marginalization and human rights violations of indigenous people by the current, by all governments in what some people call um, Canada now, um, has been born off the human rights violations of, of indigenous people here in Canada and throughout the world, In real time, I spoke to somebody the other day about mining in the Congo by Canadian mining companies. I've spoken to Indigenous brothers and sisters in Fiji talking about how Canadian mining companies benefit off the violation of Indigenous people residing in Fiji. Mm. We need to, if we want to reconcile in this country, then we have to be brutally truthful and honest. I think... I think it's more and more um, uh, people in Canada are ready to explore that truth and act on that truth and have the power to push those, uh, for example, in government, in opposition, to have the political will to never waver on the human rights of anybody, Mm -hmm. including Indigenous peoples.
0: Thank you thank you for that i think like that's a it's been a really big learning for me in this space as well i'll just you know not <laughs> not to take what you just said and then make it all about me but i mean i think i had some i had some hang-ups about doing this interview because i think i mentioned at the beginning i didn't want to say something wrong i didn't want to say something stupid or or offensive you know and and i think that it was a friend of mine who actually said oh it's really cute chris you you don't even see that latent, you know, uh misogyny and white supremacy that informs your, your practice of thinking that you are beyond correction and learning. <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh crap. <laughs> like what? Okay, yep, you know, and these moments um, you know, have, have led to that. So thanks, thank you for for touching on that. Steve, do you have anything that around that that you know you've found in some of your circles? With these conversations that are starting, I think you know, kind of you know, springboarding off of what Leah, Leah just shared.
2: A couple thoughts come to mind. and I might be coming at this from a different angle, just to recognize that, like, for Indigenous peoples, these um, these epochal moments, these revelatory moments, are happening continually, like on an annual basis. Like this is um, uh, this is huge. What's going on right now? But we ha- we have had. Wet'suwet'en, you know last year the year before we've had uh mi'kmaq fishers and the the white racism out on the east coast we've had oka gusas lake you can you can go through each period of time and say these are the moments and like when will uh white society when will white church uh step up mm-hmm. um we had black lives matter last year and how many people were like doing uh, individual acts or institutional commitments to do something, where are they now in this moment? So uh, just to recognize that the voices calling us to change in action are always present with us. And I think what we need to do right now is take some very intentional steps to build into our lives you know the opportunity for change making, for, mm-hmm. for action to happen. And I think you know that means a lot of us folks uh, linking up with a local group, so that we have people who we can walk with and we can learn from. We can, you know, we can have those bruising but uh, persistent relationships that that can help us transform, so that we're committed to this. Because, uh, you know, I I say this in sincerity. Like, here's to to push back against the kind of reconciliation work that I do. Like a lot of it is educational. A lot of it is like uh, book clubs, like in response to things that are happening. And people say like, what material change actually comes from what you're doing there? Yeah. Last year when Black Lives Matter happened, there was an article that came out, Washington Post. that says when black people march in the streets, you know, crying out in anger and movement, white people form a book club. You know, like what change flows from that? So I think um, uh, there are people that are that are taking those intentional steps. I think the key is to link arms with others. I'll highlight one example. There's a group in southern Ontario in response to 1492 Land Back Lane, a reoccupation of traditional Haudenosaunee lands, resisting a development project there. A group formed called Clergy and Lady in Support of 1492 Land Back Lane. They've been like doing basic kind of educational group work. A lot of white people from different communities helping each other do that work of learning. But they've been providing tangible support to the reoccupation there, meals and, and so on. You can do it with others on your own. Oh, it's so hard to really stick with it. I don't think we're meant to do it on our own. So we got to link arms. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Had a
0: mentor one time that said to me, you know, like the old adage, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time, you know, and with as many friends as possible, it's a lot easier that way. Yeah. Yeah. Leah, let's talk about political change. We know, we know that the injustices that indigenous people uh, have faced and continue to face are systemic. Um, so let's talk a little bit about systemic solutions. You just you just shared with us, um, you know the the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, the the adoption um, uh, of that bill that that you put forward. That it's passed in Canadian Parliament, um, and, and we have the ninety four calls to action, and we have the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, the the, the report. Um, But there is a nuance between passing legislation and then enacting um you know it's it's one thing to check the box on that regard but but you know what what does it look like to actually begin to enact this this legislation
1: well you know that's a great question i i don't suspect i mean certainly as somebody who sat in that house for a couple of years Uh, already as a new MP while sat in the House and then sometimes remotely because of the pandemic. I don't think the um, behavior of colonial governments will change. I think they will continue as we have witnessed even out in BC. uh, They will continue to willfully and knowingly and intentionally violate the rights of Indigenous peoples. What it does provide us is another uh, legislative tool, another legal tool uh, to um, fight uh, for our rights, we know there's over 200 Supreme Court rulings, um, you know, it, it, that have ruled in favor, uh, you know, of Indigenous peoples. The Supreme Court, um, in in recent history, we we know that. I don't suspect a behavior is going to to change. I think it will take critical mass movement building. You know, I ran, when I ran for office, you know, I'm a long time, a grassroots person. Uh, I ran uh, with, with the belief that I would work with, continue to work with boots to ground and bring that voice on the inside. You know, that's how You know, we got a bill C 262, for example, to pass through Parliament to be killed in the Senate. That's how C 15 uh, ended up uh, passing. Um, You know, we are at a critical juncture. You know, in the past year, uh, we have, since just being elected, we had a national shutdown in solidarity with the Wasowatan peoples uh, defending their. A right, uh, you know, in Wissowatin territory, in opposition to the LNG pipeline, bulldozing uh, people who have been on their land since time immemorial, solidarity, beautiful, Uh, to going into a global pandemic that highlighted, you know, gross uh, inequalities and equities that were there prior to the pandemic that have only been made worse by the pandemic you know the the truth is coming out in droves to now finding recovering uh what we already knew but many people chose to turn a blind eye beautiful sacred lives family members recovering and bringing repatriating and bringing our children home and the ocean Recently on fire and heat waves in even the city of Winnipeg, where we're looking at weather, 35 degree weather, cl- the climate emergency kills people. It kills the Mother Earth. It kills, it kills people. It kills animals. It kills water life. We are at a critical juncture. And we can't leave it up to, to those in power we need a movement. Yeah. We need to continue building the movement to push those who can change laws, make decisions such as myself to be forced into doing the right thing because if people made the right choices, we would have never had the Indian Act. Right. We would have never been in the climate emergency. We wouldn't be having debates about cutting down the last 3% of the old growth in the midst of a climate emergency as we watch our beautiful mother burning. Mm. We need a movement. Yeah. And I think going back full circle, uh, Steve with me in our differences coming together, uh, we have come together in building, uh, participating in movement building to try and move forward a better world for all. In respect of our beautiful mother.
0: Final question, Steve. I'll ask you, and then I'll ask you, Leah. Um, So we've talked about action. We've used that word a few times. What's the first step for someone (laughs) who is wanting to act? Um, What's step one? Where do they
2: where Where do they begin this journey? I think step one is is know the place that you are living know whose land you are on know the not only the past but the present um uh, stories of the people and uh as you're doing that work you seek to find ways to in with deep respect um to you know to link up to to get to know those people in the flesh and then uh and then step two and three and four is is Uh, Start to support the struggles of the people where you live. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And Leah, from you, like, what, what would you say? Same question. Like, like, what's, where do we begin?
1: Well, I think we need to redefine action. I've been saying this in in a lot of places. Just act. You know, and there's different ways to act. You know, you can, you know, run rallies and speak at rallies. That's one action. But you can also write. You know, some people acted when we walked for Bill C-262 walking. Learning is an action. Listening is an action. Writing petitions is an action. You know, going on the front lines, uh, much like my brother Steve does, is an action. i just think it's time that we have to act because we are running out of time we don't have a lot of time this you know it wasn't it was calls to justice in the national inquiry into murdered and missing indigenous women and girls it was calls to action in the trc it wasn't calls to discussion mm-hmm. <laughs> and we are running out of time um i think it is a time to really position ourselves where we are in part of this struggle um and act accordingly mm.
0: Thank you both. Our guests today have been Leah Gazan, uh, Steve Heinrichs. Um, We'll give you some information in the description of this episode to find out how you can track with the work that they're doing. Uh, We'll also give you some information on ways that you can start to get involved, um, uh, as well as some resources for uh, learning um, so that you can be informed about how you act. Um, thankful for both of you. I'm so thankful that you both took the time to be here, um, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll continue to track with you and, and hopefully talk
2: again. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
2: <laughs> yeah, thanks, thanks for having us. And I would say follow Leah on Twitter. She'll give oh, you. Oh yes. <laughs> oh yeah, yes. she's a great yeah. follow. She's a great follow, everybody. What
1: is what is my here? I'm going to give you my. Can I give you my Twitter?
0: I yeah, have. Uh, yes. I'm told
1: to told to do this, and then I say, "What is my Twitter handle?" what is i always i always forget so on instagram it's leah gazan mp and on facebook and i believe on twitter i'm going to get the right handle this time last time i gave the wrong ones it is at leah gazan so it's leah gazan mp on instagram and facebook and leah gazan on twitter
0: thanks again so much Um,
1: thank you so much take care
0: take care The Do Justice Podcast is produced and edited by World Renew in partnership with the Office of Social Justice and Center for Public Dialogue of the Christian Reformed Church of North America. Our opening theme was written by Quetzalcoatl. Transitions provided by Valentin Sosnitsky. Until next time, remember that the Lord is righteous, He loves justice, and the upright will see His face.